James in um, chapter 1, verse 26 of his book, said that if anyone thinks they are spiritual, yet do not control their tongues, but instead deceive their hearts, their faith is worthless. In chapter 3, which I'm going to start to unpack today, he swings back to this theme in spades, big time. The threat and the damage of an out-of-control out of tongue. And here we go. Not many of you should become teachers, Jan Kennedy. <laughs> Maybe you're one of them, my brothers and sisters. I think it's probably more directed at people like me, actually. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For all of us make many mistakes. Anyone who makes no mistakes in speaking is perfect, able to keep the whole body in check with a bridle. If we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we guide their whole bodies. Or look at ships. Though they are so large that it takes strong winds to drive them, yet they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great exploits. How great a forest is set ablaze by a small fire, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue is placed among our members as a world of iniquity. It stains the whole body, sets on fire the cycle of nature, and is itself on fire by hell. For every species of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by the human species. Except for that dog. But no one can tame the tongue, a restless evil full of deadly poison. With it we bless the Lord and Father, and with it we curse those who are made in the likeness of God. In other words, all of us. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and brackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more can salt water yield fresh. That comment about a great forest is set ablaze by a small fire. I was going to play for you this um, YouTube clip I'd found where they did a test where they, um, in a standard lounge, they lit a candle. And it was about, within about a minute and a half, the whole house was ablaze. I thought it might be a little bit um, echoey for some, so I didn't play it. But the point is there, and the point is strong. It's pretty clear, I think, from this passage that James was an experienced church leader. He'd seen the damage that bad teaching, or just saying inappropriate things, had done in church. As all church leaders since would attest. What is said can have a massive impact and both good and ill can come out of the same mouth. The spring can produce good water and brackish salty stuff. As I've sat with this um, passage, though, for the last week or so, it occurs to me that everything said about teaching here could equally apply to leadership and leading in general. We all have an influence on each other. We all teach each other to an extent. We all lead each other. 
I meet a lot of people who, when they hear that I pastor here, will say, oh, yeah, I used to go there. Some have a good story to tell, but many don't. And inevitably, it's the hurtful thing that was said to them that makes for a bad story. They are much more likely to be disappointed in us than they are in Jesus. Even silence, I think, can be significant. We know that if we we stand by and we let something unfair go down or be said, that the target's likely to think that we agree with their abuser. There's that old saying, that evil flourishes when good men do nothing. The other silence that is quite telling is the person who is asked, how are you? And they always say, yeah, good, thanks. Even when they're dying on the inside, they look serene, even when they're in great pain. Sharing our stories of pain or struggle can be very life-giving for others who can listen to that and think, hey, I'm not alone. It's why I've got the likes of Isabel and Doug and Maureen and Ra to talk about their journeys over the pulpits over the last here over this pulpit over the last few years and to hear the tough stuff. Now when you glide into church looking especially saintly, smiling beatifically, interjecting well-used scriptures at appropriate points of the conversation, we don't see your meanness to your son. We don't know that you've fantasised about your sister-in-law for the last 25 years or that you desperately wished you'd been a mechanic rather than an accountant. We just see your well-maintained outer shell, or at least for the most part. But you see, I judge my insides, this is uh, not scriptural, this is Demi Moore, I judge my insides against your outsides, because I can't see your insides. And I will assume that I'm just a failure at this Christian thing. That is not a life-giving message for you to send and for me to receive. The difficult truth is we all influence each other when we worship in community together. We are responsible not only for ourselves but the impact that we have on one another. Jesus said in Matthew 18, 6, that whoever led a little follower of his astray, it would be better if he had a millstone shoved around his neck and he was flung into the pond. That's pretty extreme, but that shows how seriously he takes it. Now, when I was a kid, there was this very common expression, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. A bigger steaming pile of nonsense is harder to imagine than this old saying, it's complete crap. We all carry the scars of offhand comments directed at us over the years. Whether we've walked with the Lord for a week or 70 years, we are all under construction, which will not stop this side of the grave. What we say and how we treat each other can be a great expression of the Spirit's work within us, making us more like the image of God. The tongue 
is the off-ramp of the heart. It shows what's in it, and it shows what consumes us. When we are at our best, it's just fantastic. We are a blessing to each other. When we encourage, when someone says, I've thought about that one line in your sermon last week, terrific for me to hear that, really encouraging. The venerable Gallstone here came up to me after a sermon a couple of years ago and said, Rod, you and I look at discipleship differently. I knew this was something close to to Alan's heart, so I manned up and I said, yes, Alan, I think we do. His reply was, I will think on what you've said. Hugely encouraging for me. Showed me a lot of respect that day. My supervisor that I see each month is someone who speaks into my life. And at the end of our last conversation, I said to him, thank you. It is so nice to be understood. His words had conveyed to me that he'd heard what was going on for me and I was still okay with him. That's gold. That's clear, good water. Same with when we ask someone for guidance and they listen well and they help us out on the way ahead. Doug McConnell has done that for me more times than I care to remember. The important condition there is make sure that your advice is wanted. Unsought advice, I think, can be quite the other way, quite destructive. Now, I've talked about situations where the spring has produced cold, clear, good water. But James is more focused on the murky, brackish stuff that you want to spit out as soon as you drink it. Wigram water, where I live, is a lot like that. Lots of chlorine. Much nicer over here. It had so much chemicals in it that it chewed through the element in our hot water cylinder. It looks like an alien came through it. Amazing. Why do we say such awful things about each other and to each other. I guess it's a little bit like asking why we sin. Sometimes I think it's just carelessness with each other's feelings. I recall a woman at my old church telling me about how she'd approached a church elder with her concern about her daughter, who'd been badly used by a male mentor when she lived in a commune with him. He assured my friend that he would catch up with her daughter who was thrilled about that prospect, that a church leader was going to take some time with her. But he never did. Another friend was leaving her church. She was asked by the priest at the church door how she was, and she said, oh, well, not so great. My mother's just died. His reply? Poor you. Unsurprisingly, she never went back, and he never asked why. But hear me, neither were bad men. But they did not love those two vulnerable women well. They were careless. As I've thought about this more, I think often at the root of the sins of uh, what we say is power. I'll give you some examples. I recall hearing of a student chaplain who was working at a hospice. Really significant role to help people die well problem was that every time one of the people he was talking with brought up the topic of their imminent death, he would change the subject. His colleagues became aware of it and tried to talk with him about it, but he would not hear it, and eventually he quit. 
He was unwilling to be broken and allow God to reform him, to deal with whatever it was that was holding him back from being able to walk into their pain. He became a pastor, and predictably it did not go well. I think to grow he needed to embrace his weakness and vulnerability, which takes us to a place of power, from power to powerlessness, and then as we are reformed to new strength. But feeling powerless can be scary. When I was uh, but a young Christian last millennia, our fellowship had a combined meeting with several other similar groups because some big-name speaker was in town. It's quite a charismatic part of the church, so people bringing words and prophecies and all that during the service was quite usual and was, was encouraged. Well, this guy got up, and he told us, and this is not word for word, but what I can remember, we were all a pack of wasters, and that God was washing his hands of us, thus saith the Lord. It was longer than that, but in angrier. Oddly enough, Jesus always seems to speak like an Englishman from the 1600s, for some reason, in King James English. This is a big power play. Because here, if you disagree with me, well, you're not only disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with God. So you better make sure you've got rubber-soled shoes on. Dry ones. Now, as a 22-year-old sitting there, I knew he was wrong, but not me and nor anyone who was older than me said anything. For me, this is blasphemy, what he said. Much more than saying, effing Christ, or something like that. Because he was presuming to speak for God. He was taking the power position of, I know the high and mighty secrets of God, much more than you mere mortals out there. Variations on this heresy has been around since the beginning of the church. In the first 200 years, they called it Gnosticism. Some elements of Freemasonry and lodges are like this. They say, join us and we will share you the old secrets of God with you. Baloney. The gospel is not a secret, at least not anymore. Now, when I come here to speak to you, I've worked quite hard on what I've got to say, and I try to be careful because it's a sacred duty to presume to teach or to preach at the, the people of God. But you are completely free to disagree with me and to nicely tell me so. And I'm happy to talk further about what I've said. I don't speak for God. Rather, I speak about God as best I can. It's sort of like going to the fridge. You grab the milk, you take the top off it, and you give it a sniff. And if it's a bit lively, you don't drink it. You tip it away and get some more. At least you do in our kitchen out here. Can be dangerous. You shouldn't have milk in your coffee anyway. That's the best way to do it. What about gossip? Now, I understand in times gone past that was a bit of a problem here. And I've tried to counter it by regularly talking about what the church is doing or the board is up to. I figure that like moss, gossip grows in the darkness rather than the light. So let's put as much light in as we possibly can. Although my theory is that the heart of gossip is that the idea is that I'm in the know. Would you like to join me up here in this special place and we can both be pretty cool together? 
I recall hearing Barry Smith preach 30 years ago quite a lot about how FPOS cards and electronic banking would quickly lead to the one world government and the crunchy bits of the end times with the Antichrist and all that. I think we probably were expected in heaven some decades ago. He repeatedly assured us as he told us this story, I know. Even though this was quite a high-level global conspiracy he was telling us all about. Quite how uh, an itinerant Kiwi evangelist had the inside running on the secret Satan-worshipping powers of the world was never explained. He was claiming the power that came through secret knowledge. Just as the gossip who assures you that Joe and Liz are having an affair does. They probably don't know, and he didn't either. And there are just so many varieties. If I name drop in a conversation someone who is famous or well-regarded, I'm sort of trying to make myself look good and a bit bigger by association. I'm puffing myself up. I'm asserting my power no matter how unconvincing it might be. I was just saying the same thing to King Charles the other day on our regular Zoom call. Sure. And then there's Rod, you know, I just love your work so much. Oh, cheers for that. Now what do you want? When I was a kid, we called it greasing. The Americans call it brown-nosing. It's an attempt at manipulation. And manipulation is the sin of those who think that they are powerless. Then there's just the classic put-down. I remember a student I know telling me he'd just been hired by the GCSB. Rod, you probably don't know what that is. Ouch. It's the Government Communication Security Board, a branch of the secret squirrels. The subtext was, I'm a bit better than you because I know more or I've done more or I'm just that little bit cooler. Now, I could talk about the sins of the tongue for quite some time, but like you, I do want to have lunch one day while it's still daylight. Yeah, he'll be right. He's not peeing, is he? Good. All right. But what do we do with all of this? Well, it's a couple of thoughts. One is Bambi's mother's advice. Do you remember Bambi's mother's advice? If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. should be in the Bible. The US Senate race in Wisconsin had a debate recently, and the last question the candidates were asked was, what do you most admire about your opponent? Really clever question, I thought. Challenger said it was obvious to him that the senator that he was running against was very committed to his family, which was something that he really respected. Good answer. The senator recounted his regard for his challenger's parents and community, and his finishing line was, makes it even more astounding that this man obviously hates our country as much as he does with that kind of background. If you can't say anything nice, don't say anything at all. That's one. Bambi's mother's advice. To recognise the power of what comes out of our mouths to heal. Good encouragers are specific. That was a great sermon. is almost meaningless. But that story you told about the Senate debate really struck me because... Dot, 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 dot. That's really helpful. Or you've given me something to really chew on. 
and what you had to say about power and sin. That's good feedback too. Third, recognise the power of what comes out of our mouths to hurt. If I put down hurt you, it's probably going to hurt other people coming from you. Jesus' golden rule comes to mind, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And four, I know the people of God eat with three-pronged forks, but today it's four. When you recognise that something that you have said has done harm, as well as trying to put it right, go deeper. Ask yourself, what was going on for me when I passed on that bit of gossip? Did I want to impress that person I was talking with? And if so, why? What need was in play for me? Challenging, but good questions. I recall a pastor friend of mine being asked how he was after resigning a particularly difficult pastorate. And his reply was a classic. He said, I'm pretty bruised for what's supposed to be a non-contact sport. Now, occasionally I watch an NBA basketball game, which is also technically a non-contact sport. And they are always banging into each other, whether deliberately or accidentally. With the best will in the world, we who worship together are going to do the same thing. It's inevitable. But if we take the opportunity to encourage each other when they present themselves, those opportunities, and we commit to apologising and being self-aware when we hurt each other, we are following God's path of righteousness. Could the musicians please come up? We're going to leave here in a moment as the people of God, God Father, Son and Spirit. I invite you to stand and sing with me.
May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favour and give you his peace. Thank you.